Welcome to the first ever episode of the Madison County Milkhouse podcast. Uh, we're going to take a stab at having a podcast here in Madison County and bringing you all things Madison County. So pull up a milk can, come on over, and let's talk all things Madison County with me. Oh, by the way, hi, I'm Samantha Field, our public information officer for the county. And with me is our deputy public information officer, Ryan Coe. Want to say hi, Ryan? Hi, how's it going? <laughs> it's really weird when you're just talking to each other and talking to yourself sometimes. So, But we're going to see how this goes. Uh, we wanted to start this so we could reach our residents and residents around us to tell them more about what is happening here in the county. And I mean, are you excited about this? Are you scared? What's going uh, on? I'm definitely not scared. I'm kind of looking forward to kind of helping getting more information out to, you know, all the residents and, you know, probably you know, uh, teach some people some things that maybe they don't know about the county as far as our history is concerned or just, you know, more information of what's going on just in general. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at this as, you know, we are, Madison County is in between two, sometimes three media outlets and sometimes we're overlooked, but it's also our residents have questions about what's going on. What's the government doing for them? What's, you know, what services do we provide? There's always questions and rumors going around and I feel like with this podcast, we can start addressing those things without just using social media necessarily, but, you know, addressing them and having, you know, we want to hear from our residents as well. So if you've got questions, we're open, you know, give us an email, ask us the questions and we'll bring you those topics. Uh, I guess that's the first thing is how you can reach us. You can reach the PIO office at PIO at madisoncounty.ny.gov or give us a call if you've got a question and you want to hear about it on the podcast. Our phone number is 315-366-2822. Uh, Ryan, why don't you tell, you know, the residents a little bit about yourself? Uh, I mean, you know, I, I've, I've come from a background of marketing, um, design. Um, I've worked for some, uh, uh, like a larger fitness chain, um, uh, you know, some apparel company. So as, and my background is really more advertising and things of that nature. But, uh, you know, that kind of works well with what we're doing here as far as at the county, trying to, you know, push out information, you know, um, you know, in the most efficient way we can to make sure everybody knows what is exactly happening within um, our, our local county here. And, uh, you know, again, just keep everybody most informed with the proper information versus, you know, there, there's a lot of misinformation that's very easily accessible, unfortunately, um, in this day and age of social media. Uh, so, you know, anything we can do to kind of dispel rumors or misconceptions. And, you know, that's why it's you know, important even, you know, like Sam just mentioned to, uh, like you just mentioned to, you know, reach out to us. So, and I mean, you're from Madison County too. Oh yeah, I've been here pretty much my whole life. I, I lived out of state for a few years. I uh, lived out in New Hampshire, but yeah, I'm from Canastota originally, and I'm still in the area now. So, um, you know, I have a pretty good read myself on what's going on around here. So, and, and what's happened in the past. So, um, knowing that, you know, I can you know, definitely hopefully add some good perspective to the things we discuss moving forward. Thank you for the job interview. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, same thing, you know, you and I have very similar backgrounds where it's, you know, we both grew up here. I grew up in Oneida, uh, you know, went to high school and then you, you and I kind of both, you know, ventured out, went elsewhere for a little while, grew our careers, learned some stuff. And we both were like, let's go back. So we're both back here in Madison County, been back here for a few years. And we just want to, you know, make this place, all that it can be for our family and our friends that live here. Um, 
and that's one of my biggest things is I just want to show everybody the great things that are here in Madison County and what we're working on. So um, I guess with that, I guess we can talk about what's coming up on the first ever first episode of the Madison County Milk House podcast. Uh, coming up, we're going to be talking to our historian, Matt Ertz, and, you know, talking about, I guess, the origination of Madison County. If you didn't know, um, you know, when did the county actually come to be? And then from there, we'll talk to Chairman Becker. Uh, he's got his state of the county coming up in February. Maybe he'll give us a little teaser about what we can expect. Uh, we'll be talking about, you know, I guess what I'm calling the jobs report. Uh, we'll be talking with Madison County Administrator Mark Simone and Ryan Alward, the Director of Labor Relations. They worked hard in the past couple of months to reimagine, you know, how to hire people, you know, Madison County, even though it's a government, we have, you know, had those issues that all the other employers have been having trying to get new hires, retain people. How have they looked at those obstacles and what are we doing here at the county? Um, and then we'll be talking, you know, recycling with Kristen Welch. She loves to talk trash. So ask her all the trash questions if you've got any. And I think that's our show for this first time around. And I'm kind of excited to get things started. Yeah, it's, it's the show on the road, as they say, I suppose. It's time for that part of the show where we're, we're going to call it the time capsule. Here with us is Madison County historian Matthew Ertz. Uh, Matt, welcome to our podcast. Welcome to the Medicine Milk House. Thank you for having me. Uh, so we figured, you know, for the first show, our first ever episode of the Madison County Milk House, uh, you can tell us a little bit of about about where Madison County started and the origination of Madison County. Yeah, so Madison County itself was formed in 1806 uh, from Shenango County, but prior to that it was um, part of Albany County when Albany was under English control. Uh, Albany County became Tryon County when it split down what was still under English control in the 1770s. Tryon County uh, changed names after the American Revolution because we didn't want to be named after a British guy, so they changed it to um, a guy by the name of Richard Montgomery, who was a major general in the Continental Army in 1775. Uh, Montgomery County became Herkimer County in 1791, and that's actually where we start to see settlers uh, becoming more regular. Um, Herkimer County becomes uh, Shenango County in uh, 1798 and then Madison County's formed. Of course prior to all that this land was um, the the land of the Haudenosaunee people, the United Nation. Um, and we have a unique history in that um, we were on the cusp of um, what is today we know as Lake Ontario but was Lake Iroquois which was significantly larger and we had people here as far back as almost 12,000 years ago. Um, they've been doing archaeological digs on that for a long time finding all sorts of neat little um, things and evidence of, of what people were living like then. So we have a really, really long history, but Madison County as we know it today was formed in 1806. And you've been able to go on some of those archaeological digs in the past. Yeah, uh, they've been fun. Um, you know, if you've ever been on an archaeological dig, it's a really unique experience because there's a lot of uh, people working very hard uh, looking at things that don't look like much but can tell you why they're important and what is unique about them and what they learned from them, you know, what the people were using for tools. Um, how they were living, what they were eating, why they were here, you know, what uh, type of things they were doing, why they were moving, where they were moving. So there's some really neat things that um, I've had the opportunity to see. Um, I think they just completed their last dig and they're going to do a final report, which we're hoping to get sometime uh, the first part of this year. That's pretty cool. So when it comes to 
Madison County itself and the, the towns within it. How did that originally develop and what were the main towns and how has that maybe changed as we've moved along here? Yeah, so um, prior to Madison County forming, there was actually five towns that already existed. Um, three towns were part of uh, the Shenango 20 purchase, which was in 1789. Uh, Brookfield, Casanova, and Hamilton were all formed in 1795. So those were the first three towns that existed. Uh, eventually, the town of Sullivan uh, is formed as well as the town of Derider, and that's what we started with when Madison County was formed in 1806. We had those five towns. Um, Brookfield is the only town that has never changed its size from the day it was created. All the other towns have changed in some way, shape, or form. Um, but, you know, very early on from the town of Hamilton uh, in 1807, Eaton, Lebanon, and the town of Madison are formed. Uh, Casanova is, is, um, becomes the towns of Derider. We already mentioned that in 1798. Um, but Nelson and Smithfield are formed from there. Uh, the, the, they referred to the town of Lenox, which was formed in 1809, was kind of referred to as something called Super Lenox uh, because it included the, the city of what we now know as the city of Oneida and the town of Lincoln, and that lasted until the 1890s. Uh, Smithfield's and Fen uh, Fenner's formed from Smithfield. And then Stockbridge is kind of unique because it was formed from Smithfield, Lenox, Vernon, and Augusta. So we actually took a little bit of Oneida County back when those were formed. Um, and like I said, 1896, the town of Oneida, the town of Lincoln are formed, and then Oneida becomes a city. A little later, uh, 1901, becomes a city. So it sounds like Madison County, at least by the actual development of towns and borders, really started, a lot of populations were south. Yes. How did, you know, the population centers are now north. How did that all happen? So when settlers came, one of the things you would look for is waterways. So the two prominent waterways in that era um, are Casanova Lake, which is why Casanova developed early, and then the Unadilla River, which is why Brookfield developed early. And then you had things, um, I can't think of the name of the creek right now, but there was a little uh, creek in Eaton, uh, Eatonbrook uh, that was there. Um, so that's why people developed in Eaton. And the land to the north was still uh, part of the Haudenosaunee early early on um so when uh the erie canal starts to develop we see the population shift north because the erie canal kind of creates um the village of canastota the village of chitnango just to the east of us the village of durhamville and we suddenly have a center where we can ship goods we can have manufacturing that's why you kind of see along those two t villages chitnango and canastota along the canal you can see um, where the industry was um, so the erie canal was a real big leader in development and that tends to shift the population north uh, from there uh, we have railroads that come in again early railroads were kind of north then they kind of move south and, and north and south uh, east and west and then i-90 um, so you know a good portion of the population still was following whatever the easiest path of travel the easiest path of, of shipping goods and that's why we see the population density so much more in the north today than in the south so I wanted to start this actually kind of introducing you as the Madison County historian. So we're going to go back to that now that we know a little bit about more about where Madison County came from and kind of where we're all at. Um, so Matt, when did you become the historian of Madison County? I was appointed the historian of Madison County in April of 2010. And what are some of your um, more memorable, I guess, pieces of history you've either learned or witnessed? 
put me on the spot. Um, to be part of the courthouse renovation was a really unique experience. Opening the time capsule, even though it presented a whole wave of shenanigans, was, was very, very fun. Um, I've been blessed to uh, start the uh, Veterans Interview Project, in which we just talked to veterans about their experiences. Um, to date, we've done over a dozen World War II veterans. Uh, we've just started talking to a number of Vietnam veterans. We want to document those stories uh, as, as those folks pass so that we have them forever, and we've been able to you know, keep stories of, of people that were at Pearl Harbor and were in some of the most prominent battles. And we then extended that program to talk to th- uh, farmers, uh, politicians, things like that that had experiences that we thought were important to document. So that's always been very fun to me. Uh, I've been very lucky to be part of all sorts of different projects and, and just recently published a book uh, about veterans of Madison County that were, were killed in the line of duty. Um, we wanted to make sure those stories were kept. So I've been very lucky to be part of lots of projects. I've gotten to work with lots of teacher programs um, over the years where we've helped get primary source documents from Madison County into local classrooms so that when kids learn about history, they can learn about it on a local level. That's very important to me and, and we continue to do that. We're working on a project called Consider the Source New York Today. Um, where we are creating a statewide database of records available to teachers um, and working with teachers to create lesson plans. So yeah, I've been lucky to do a lot of fun things, helping to promote the county's history uh, as both a means to be better educated and also a means, you know, heritage tourism is a very, very big deal. Well, you're part of history today. First ever podcast from Madison County. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. All right, so now we're here to talk trash with Kristen Welsh, uh, the Madison County Recycling Coordinator. Um, she's going to give us a little knowledge on, you know, probably the things we should know how to do, but maybe don't do all the time. So, uh, like when it comes to recycling, like uh, what's something, you know, that's, you know, really a basic thing that maybe a lot of people are kind of uh, not, you know, taking care of right now? Yeah, so there's a lot of different things for recycling. It can be very confusing. You know, it seems like um, maybe a program is always changing, but we always recommend just checking in every once in a while uh, and updating yourself on like the local recycling guidelines. So whether you're in Madison County or outside of, always check in uh, with your local recycling program to get the most up-to-date information about what can be recycled and what is not. Um, Something that's just kind of quick for residents here in Madison County, uh, we are a dual stream recycling systems. That means we use two recycling bins where Madison County residents keep paper and cardboard um, in one recycling bin and then in a separate recycling bin is their plastic, metal, and glass containers. So we do have a two bin recycling system. It helps us at our recycling facility. Um, We are mostly hand sorting and a lot of residents, um, you know, may not realize that when they're sorting out their recyclables at home. So when I'm putting my recyclables out at the curb, Um, Should I bag them? Should I put them in containers? Should I throw them in with my trash? Like, what am I supposed to do? (laughs) I'm so confused. So when you're preparing your recyclables, um, so you'll have your two recycling bins. If you need a recycling bin, you can visit one of our transportations and get one for free. Um, But we... Uh, recommend keeping the recyclables loose in your recycling container. So we don't want the recyclables to be in plastic bags. And the biggest thing with that is is that when it's brought to our recycling facility, um, again, we're mostly hand sorting. So having the recyclables in plastic bags, it can hide a lot of that contamination. Um, And then it it takes hours for someone to break open those plastic bags. So we say keep your recyclables loose in the recycling bins. Don't use any plastic bags. Um, That will help us, you know, keep the quality of our recyclables high and also save our residents some money since they don't have to spend money on a plastic bag for recycling. 
That's a great tip. And I, I've seen those green bins all over the place. You know, you drive down the street and it's, when it's garbage day, you're like, oh, those are kind of cool. <laughs> I want one of those. So great well, idea to go get one. When it comes to those bins in general, um, if, uh, you know, somebody's confused what to even recycle, you know, where should they even go to like find out that kind of information? Yeah. Uh, again, recycling can be confusing. So we try to make the process as easy as possible for our residents. Um, residents can go to our website at medicinecountyrecycles.ny.gov. And on that website, we actually have a how do I recycle or how do I dispose of search tool. So residents um, can type in a quick, uh, hey, I have a, a plastic um, yogurt container what do I do with this? If you just type it into the search tool, it will tell you, yes, that can actually go into your recycling bin. Um, if it was a different material that maybe say like I have a plastic uh, single use cup from uh, like a single use coffee cup, uh, that will tell you that it goes into the trash. So just a quick, easy way, when in doubt, search it out on our website um, as a quick way for residents to know what is recyclable and what is not. So speaking of things that are recyclable and what might not be, what is, I mean, it's not that it's always changing, but we're always trying to find what's the best way to do that. And sometimes it might not necessarily be curbside, but we do have programs where people can, you know, recycle things like electronics uh, because, you know, there's parts in them that should be used for other par other electronic equipment. How can we do that here in Madison County? Yeah, so some items like uh, old electronics, an old TV, an old computer, or even like household hazardous waste, uh, it's illegal to put them in your garbage because we want to make sure those materials are being handled properly. So our department funds free special recycling programs for those items. Um, for electronics in particular, we partner with a facility in Oneida called Lojo Technology. Residents can drop off old TVs or computers um, during the week, Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. for free. Um, and then we also offer quarterly, like Saturday drop-offs, if you can't make it during the week for uh, disposing of your old electronics. Um, so we offer quarterly Saturday hours as well. And actually, the next Saturday uh, drop-off event will be on February 4th from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m., again at Lojo Technology in Oneida. Oh, that's great. It's coming right up. So if you're cleaning out and any attics, any basements this winter while you're inside, make sure you set those things aside so you can head on over there. In our website, again, uh, the Madison County Recycles has all that information for like special um, hard to recycle items. Perfect. Thank you for joining us and talking trash with us, Kristen. Thank you Thank for you having so me. It's time for our jobs report here in Madison County. So Madison County last year was just like every other employer, you know, having some issues with the economy the way it is, you know, with either hiring or retention. And I think Madison County came up with some great ideas of how we could, you know, keep employees and attract employees coming back to uh, working here at the government. And with us today, we have Ryan Elward, the Director of Labor Relations, and Mark Simone, the Madison County Administrator. Welcome, both of you. Thank you, Sam, for having us. Thank you. And um, so I guess to I guess to Mark first, our county administrator. So Mark, I mean, we all like working here. <laughs> so and, you know, we come up with great ways of trying to change things up and um, make things fresh and new here at Madison County. But um, what what does make Madison County a great employer or a great place to work? We really value our employees here at the county. We have a very supportive board of supervisors. You know, it's my goal as administrator to make sure that the departments and the employees have what they need to get their jobs done, and the board has has done that. You know, COVID was difficult. Coming out of COVID, we made some changes to make things even better. You know, working from home was something we did during COVID. We kept it going. You know, 
post-pandemic. We also uh, adjusted schedules, uh, more flexible schedules. People can you know, work until you know, 8 to 4 as opposed to before it was like 9 to 5 or the county complex would close at 5. DMV still is open until 5 a few days a week, but we've made it more flexible so people can spend more time with their families and have a better work-life balance. It's a family environment here. Everybody works well together. We try to be positive and you know we had did some surveys in the past with our community and you know 92 percent of our taxpayers felt that they got a good value from the work that we do and the taxes they pay and that all goes back to our employees and they are the key of what we do here in madison county that's what a lot of people are looking for is that opportunity to maybe you know not every day but work from home when they can or have that flexible schedule and i know i value that here because you know i have two young children and you know notoriously every two weeks like today <laughs> one of them gets sick <laughs> and I love being able to be have that flexibility and even the ability to work from home I know not every job is like that but I mean before the pandemic I mean we yeah we didn't do that I, I have a story when I was recruiting for a compliance officer this is right before the pandemic um, I had a lead candidate that I really liked and she asked the question you know, do you guys do our work from home here? And I said, no, we don't do that. We're government. <laughs> we don't do work from home. And she said, okay. And I worked you know, with her, and, and we were able to get a competitive offer to have her come over to work for us. And that was January and March. And she was working from home with everybody for a six-week period. And it worked. And, and her job, you know, she did a great job you know, while she was working from home. And I got to see firsthand how it could work and and how it worked for other employees. And now today, you know, it's been three years and you know, she still works from home a few days a week. She comes in here to the county and uh, it's worked out really well. And she's done an awesome job. And for some jobs, it works really well. Obviously, for corrections officers and highway drivers, it doesn't work so well. You can't work from home and plow. But we have been giving this flexibility to our departments and in a lot of cases it works and, and she's got a young family as well so you know when things are not going well at home people kids are sick and stuff she can still be home and get stuff done here for the county and it's been really great and a big, big change and it's really great back again to the board that they've allowed us to continue to do this um, more in a limited fa fashion because you can't really do it every day yeah. but to have the flexibility to do it a few times a week you know, one or two days sometimes is really great for the employee and great for us so uh, we also do something called the employee engagement survey mark you started seeing as the results were coming in before everything was there you were already seeing any issues you wanted to see how can we problem solve what were some of those things that you were just like no we have to fix this now yeah the compensation was huge um, back in 19 when we did the survey 75 percent of our employees felt fairly compensated right off the bat and we knew it we knew what was coming because of inflation the the numbers i think in the most recent survey were you know less than half of the employees felt they were fairly compensated and we worked really closely with personnel ryan as the director of their relations in our bargaining units to address that issue and ryan could talk more specifically about what we did but our board once again stepped up and we had some union contracts open up some contracts to do some things to increase salaries to help with the recruitment and retention. We had a situation 
just you know a month ago before the contracts were approved where in highway they had five offers out to five employees and they all went and took their pre-employment foot physical and you know a day before a few of them were going to start you know three employees bailed after they went through the whole process of interviewing and going out to take their physical and their drug tests and get those results back and be cleared to work and then at the last minute they bailed and they told the highway superintendent you know, we got a better offer so we're not going to take the job with madison county and that's difficult because you need to have plow drivers especially when it's bad weather out so what is that process like trying to i guess weigh the wants and needs of the county and the wants and needs of the employees and the labor unions well the the first thing we did was um evaluate the economic times that we were having to to deal with and the entire country was dealing with i mean inflation was um at a level that hadn't been seen since the 1970s and while we always wanted to remain competitive in the labor market we were finding that we were slipping um it was hard to find plow drivers to mark's point it's hard to find corrections officers um these were jobs that ordinarily people were lined up you know to take and now we were out searching for them and it was difficult to find so we recognized um two things really first we recognized a couple of specific groups that we targeted that needed to be addressed um, and then we looked at our entire labor force here at the county um, in the to mark's point the board did a great job supporting us and providing us the resources that we need um, to, to retain the employees that we had and to recruit new employees so that we continue to provide the great services to the residents of the county uh, when it comes to you know retaining and, and getting these employees uh, to begin with uh, what are uh, kind of some of the continued challenges th that you guys see is really the the biggest issue of making that happen so um we work within uh what's known like a civil service process here at the county and it's a, a state mandate um so for the majority of positions here you don't just show up and provide us an application and say i'd like to be a caseworker today or i'd like to be um you know clerical support um, there's a testing process that you go through and typically you do that in advance of a vacancy so um it's really educating people and getting people um you know signed up for those exams and excited about possibly working for the county before we have a need so that when something does come up we can just contact them and say would you like to come in for an interview now we, you know we we have um, a pending vacancy we think you might be a good fit for with the civil service exam a, lo a lot of people you know it might you know the word exam scares them they're like you know i'm no longer in school i don't want to do this anymore right uh do you feel that I guess not, do you feel like, um, is civil service exams, I guess, the way of the future, or do you think there's gonna be other ways that the state and the government can start hiring people and filling these positions, these great positions that we have? Is there another way we might be able to do that? Uh, six months ago, I would have said, you know, no, it, it's gonna be business as usual, but there has been some progress, I think, um, slow, but progress at the state level um, where you know, there may be alternative methods for, for recruiting employees. 
Um, I think testing is still going to be a reality, and it, and it shouldn't scare people. There's four of us sitting around the table here right now, and we all took exams for our positions at some point in our career. Um, they're they're not meant to trick you. You know, if you um, you know if you have the experience and the degree and uh, the skill set that you know we're looking for, um, then ordinarily you're going to do well on the exam. So it. I understand it can be scary for people that are, you know, maybe trying to start a second career, maybe they're a little older. It, it really, it shouldn't. Um, people should be, you know, confident that they're going to do well because they wouldn't be there if they weren't, you know, put in a position to succeed. Yeah, it's not too bad. <laughs> and, and there's been some changes, too, on, the, on your question, Sam, with, like, corrections officers, for example. Right. The state is going, in some cases, to a model where it's a training experience exam where it's not, like, you don't sit there and fill out... You don't you don't go and take multiple choice questions. You fill out a questionnaire and, and then you get rated based on the answers on the questionnaire. It's not a test, um, and that has really helped because people don't have to come in here to sit down to take a civil service test on a Saturday. They can fill out their questionnaire online and get their score and then be put on the list. And that was a huge thing on the correction side because with the test we had like seven people signed up. The state just changed this recently. We had like seven people sign up for the test, and once we put it out as a training experience exam questionnaire, we went from seven people to like 29. Uh, what are some of the other benefits of being an employee for the county, Ryan? Sure. Um, we As he goes to the list. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, that's right, we have a list because we have so many benefits that yes. we can articulate here. Um, but it's, you know traditional government benefits that you would expect, um, you know, generous leave time offerings, uh, sick leave uh, for both you and for, you know, uh, if a family member is ill, vacation leave, um, personal leave for, you know, things that come up during the week. Um, but there's other things as well. You know, we, we provide a, a pension, which a lot of employers, you know, specifically in the private sector right now, are not making available to people. Um, the health insurance options here are incredible. Um, you know, there's different different opportunities for people depending on their specific situation. Um, paid holidays are, you know, numerous. Um, to Mark's point earlier, our work-life balance, I think, is, is pretty great. Um, we have flexibility to work from home. The civil service process we mentioned earlier is really a built-in opportunity for promotion. You know, there's... there's um, uh, a great chance for career advancement um, you know if you're starting kind of at the lower end or even you know if you come in in the middle of um, you know a department somewhere you have the opportunity to really succeed and advance if you if you want um, we can help you do that through tuition uh, assistance you know we'll help you go back to school if that's something that you're interested in we'll, we provide trainings uh, that's that's definitely something Mark has emphasized a lot over the last couple of years is seeing that people are given training opportunities, whether they're formal degrees or whether they're, um, you know, specific um, skill sets that we want to see improved upon. Um, you know, we, we put people through that um, knowing that it's going to be a benefit for us down the road and, and for them as well. And, and on that point, too, you, know, you look at to the promotion side, most of our department heads that we have here are employees that have promoted up through the system, you know, entry-level positions all the way up to the department head. And and that's really great. You know, it's the personnel. You know, your boss, Eileen Zara, personnel Absolutely. officer, you know, started as a clerical employee in the office, and, and she's the director of personnel. 
and so that's a really cool thing with government where you do have an opportunity to really work your way up from an entry level clerical position to a department head manager and that's really cool you don't see a lot of that in the private sector as much so ryan you mentioned kind of some of these uh contracts and negotiations that took place in order to you know increase wages and all that can you get you know touch base on that a little bit more sure um we we negotiated uh, either a new contract or a successor contract with all five of our unions this year. Um, wages typically were about 7% uh, increased uh, for our uh, unions. Um, our corrections officers did do, did do better as a result of the survey Mark had mentioned. Um, you know, we, we need to find a way to uh, get some more staff in there to help out and we provided them with 15% wage increases. Um, in addition to traditional bargaining though, we did identify specific positions over the last two or three years and provided um, upgrades where necessary, you know, in our IT department, in our probation office, um, in our public health and sheriff's office for our nurses. Um, so some of those positions saw significant increases in pay in addition to new wages that they received this year. Um, so overall, uh, our our average increase this year for an employee was just under 8%, um, which is unheard of here at the county. I've been doing this for more than 10 years now, and that's you know double anything that we've ever approached in the past. Um, but it was necessary. You know, um, em employees were struggling as a result of the inflation that the entire country is, you know, undergoing um and the board stepped up and and took care of their staff and hopefully it will help us bring in some new employees because um like everyone we're struggling it's it's very much a, a labor market geared towards people looking for a job right now you know we hope they're looking here and then on the like for instance with the blue collar we had an agreement in place with them for, you know, for another two years 23 and 24 at two and a half percent uh, per year and for the first time in the history of the county we actually opened that agreement up and gave them a seven percent and then a four and a half percent for the next year never has happened in the history of the county we've never opened an agreement to give a bargaining unit more but that goes back to what i said earlier regarding the five highway plow drivers that we had uh recruited and that were going to come on and, and and some of them did it and then on the CO side, the starting salary, right, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, going from a starting salary of around 43000 to almost 50000 for a corrections officer, that's a $7,000 jump. So anybody that's looking to be a, a corrections officer out there, you know, go to the personnel site and take a look at what we have offered. That's a really great pay increase, and, and the board was serious about making sure that we are able to recruit and retain and, you know, we did that and thanks to ryan and our bar unit leaders for coming up with contracts to keep us competitive yes and as an employee thank you both for your hard work for <laughs> us employees <laughs> when you're actually i was actually sitting here thinking i'm like maybe you should offer a dozen eggs once a month yeah <laughs> yeah right <laughs> would have really sweetened the That'd deal be good, yeah. <laughs> good benefit a couple years ago it was toilet paper <laughs> <laughs> is there anything else you guys would like to add um, I, I would just add um, people that are um, looking at the county as a as a possible opportunity. Um, 
we think our wages are competitive, first of all, but it's it's more than just wages. There are other things here. You know, we're not in a big city. You're not worried about, um, you know, parking concerns in downtown Syracuse or whether or not, you know, you can get into a garage or something. Yeah, there's um, always a parking spot. Th- that's right. <laughs> and it's free. Uh, so there, you know, there, it's more than just an hourly rate. You know, um, we hope to be able to get you out on time to, to get home for dinner with the family or, or get to your, you know, daughter's basketball game or whatever you got going on um and that while that doesn't always happen in every job um it's certainly you know a priority for i think most of the people around here so if you are looking for a career or you want to jump start that you can go to madisoncounty.ny.gov or you know just check out the personnel department here at the county campus and we've always got postings for exams and jobs and come on over and join our team now we're meeting with Chairman John Becker, the Madison County Board Chairman. Uh, g- good morning, Chairman. How are you? Good morning. How is everybody? Doing pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. How are you? Good. Good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. Welcome to the first ever Madison County Milk House podcast, which you named. Yes, I did. It's kind of, it's kind of a little wonky name, but we're a rural county, and. Most folks in this county, a lot of folks that are in this county, have their roots in ag, their grandparents, great-grandparents, or anything like that. And anybody that understands the milk house, that's most dairy farmers, that uh, a lot of business always got done in the milk house, whether it was your feed salesman, your um, buying pickup trucks, buying tractors, uh, you know, uh, the milk house was always a place uh, where you gathered and your product was and the milkman came and took your milk and so uh, you know it might seem a little wonky for right now but uh, I think it works for today and going forward we'll see what happens but yeah welcome well, to the milk house. Well speaking of that uh, business you know, and, uh, we have some county business coming up now um, the county address is coming up uh, next month. Can you give us a little preview maybe of, you know, what we might be expecting with that? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll talk about Mark, our administrator, he usually does the department heads. I'll do our initiatives, which uh, we'll have, I'll talk a little bit more in depth about our ambulance services, uh, countywide ambulance services, um, the partnership for the landfill, uh, I'd like everybody to know on this podcast that, you know, we are not closing the landfill, which uh, some of our employees are at fault. Uh, they're telling people that uh, we're closing the landfill. We are not closing the landfill. We're looking for a partner. Uh, it's become unsustainable for us because of uh, economies of scale, much like a 65-cow dairy compared to a 1,500-cow dairy today. So, you know, the milk house works for that analogy. Um, And uh, I'll be talking about, of course, the governor's state of the state address, uh, the state trying to usurp home rule law, and, uh, of course, uh, the state's energy policy. So those are just a few of the things I'll touch on in the state of the county address. And you were talking about the state of the state with uh, Governor Kathy Hochul. And in it, you know, before that, we already know the Climate Act kind of got finalized right before then. Her initiatives, a lot of her initiatives that she talked about the other day circled around that. And I know you have some concerns about how how are we going to be getting that electric energy? Yeah, my concerns are, uh, number one, this clean energy 
um, if you really look into it, it's not clean energy. Uh, these solar panels, if you got down to the technical nitty-gritty, a 50-megawatt solar facility will only put out 24 uh, megawatts and about 7 on a good day here in the wintertime. So why are we covering even marginal farmland uh, with solar panels? It's ridiculous. Um, we're relying more and more on uh, foreign countries for uh, goods that... We consume in our country and food. The American farmer could feed the world, but uh, at the rate we're uh, putting the hammer on the American farmer, it won't be long before uh, we will rely on somebody else to feed us. And hence, uh, grocery stores, I never thought I would ever see it in my lifetime when you went into a grocery store and you don't see products on the shelves. In the past few years, you've gone in and you've seen, uh, you know, no paper goods, um, toilet paper, paper towels uh, at certain times, bread at other times, and uh, now everybody's uh, hair's on fire over the eggs. Well, you know, uh, farmers can't hold their price forever. That's why they've gotten bigger and bigger because the cost of production. And uh, as you've consolidated farms down to larger farms, there's fewer, fewer of them, and they will control the price. And that's the way that is. And Albany doesn't understand that. Um, you know, the solar panels are a big problem going on farmland. Um, this monstrosity of a climate bill uh, that was snuck through down in Albany, you know, I understand that people have things to do every day. They can't be keeping an eye on what goes on down in Albany, but this is the problem when you have one-party rule. Um, it's 460-some pages long. In there, they are curbing... Uh, um, hookups to natural gas which is one of the cleanest burning fuels that there is uh, they totally ignore uh, nuclear uh, power which is uh, one of the safest and cleanest powers there are and most efficient uh, power out of everything uh, they're going to they want to limit your travel with vehicles in this clean climate bill um, they're pushing more and more solar, more and more wind. Um, when you build a new house, uh, they're pushing uh, homes to be uh, non-fossil fuels. Um, it isn't just your gas stoves that will uh, be outdated. It will be furnaces, uh, anything like that. Uh, a lot of people go with propane or natural gas generators. You won't be able to get them anymore. And, uh, you know, quickly... 2035 will be coming upon us where you will no longer be able to buy a uh, fuel-powered vehicle in New York State. And the way that New York State operates, if we mirror California, they will be outlawing um, older vehicles after a certain uh, date. And that's very dangerous for our population. And if you want to go by just the facts and not rhetoric, uh, how much uh, of the pollution does New York State really account for in uh, the world and it is minuscule um, it's you know India China um, uh, you know uh, countries that are uh, trying to increase their population and increase their living standards um, up to what ours are and they aren't going to stop their population from you know 
uh, polluting the air. They're just not going to oh, do that. That's kind of a question. I, I can, you know, like a lot of residents, I, you know, I don't know much about this bill and it's kind of, you know, coming at us kind of quick. Um, so where where's the the proof of concept for this whole idea coming from, uh, you know, the way it sounds, it doesn't sound like, you know, China is using, you know, electric powered plants or something to produce these solar panels. So what are they doing to like, uh, where are we getting this idea from to go this, this particular route of green that they're trying to, uh, that's a good question, Ryan. But the, what, what we're doing is we're putting coal on shipping containers, which, uh, you know, go on to ships that burn fuel oil and shipping it over to China. So, you know, how much of a carbon footprint is that? And China is using coal to fire these uh, electrification plants that they have over there. So, you know, we're not curbing nothing. What we're doing is we're putting an undue burden onto our citizens, uh, and I think that's why you see a lot of New Yorkers head to Florida, uh, an undue burden onto New Yorkers, and uh, they're doing it by usurping uh, home rule law with these um, solar solar farms. But uh, back to your point, Ryan, China's not gonna China's not going to curb uh, their uh, output of CO2 or their carbon footprint. They're just they're just not gonna do that because there's too many companies over there. Their uh, population uh, they've got to keep their population up to do what they have to do. And um, their their uh, land mass, I believe I'm right. I might be wrong. Uh, one third of their land mass will only support uh, their uh, population or their land mass. What they can grow in agriculture goods will only support one third of their population. So they have to get it someplace else. So as we're driving uh, and covering more and more marginal farmland, they're going to look other places for um food and it's going to be brazil it's going to be peru it's going to be south american uh, countries where they're not going to worry about their carbon footprint where actually uh, brazil is taking i don't know how many thousands of acres a day of rainforest away to for crop production so that kind of brings in also your idea and your initiative that you really are starting to back last year is the buy madison county campaign especially with our ag and our farmers correct trying to help out our farmers and our and our ag producers to help build them up to make them you know not necessarily bigger but giving them a better market and things like that that'll i mean hopefully you know not just buying here but making markets even overseas over state lines correct we got to do all we can to keep our farmers that we have in business and try to give them uh with this initiative the buy mass initiative give them opportunities for markets that they wouldn't normally have and uh, outlets for their products that they wouldn't normally have. Um, so hopefully, you know, we uh, were successful in that. Uh, Sam, you and uh, your group have done a great job in uh, kickstarting that. I've had people come up to me and say uh, that it's about time that we countered uh, Onondaga and Oneida County because we're the small rural county in between with uh, their ag initiatives because you hear the little jingle Onondaga County grown and uh, I knew we had to do something uh, to help our own and that's why we did the initiative. Thank you. It's It's been great to work with all of our partners and we have some really great things planned for 2023. Yep. And with that, uh, is there anything else you want to tease for us that's coming up this year? Uh, 
No, I'm going to also do a 2030 initiative uh, with the state of the county going back to Ryan that, uh, you know, it's going to look at consolidation. It's going to look at everything. Um, we're going to put a couple business uh, owners on the panel, a couple of uh, regular folks on the panel, a couple of supervisors on the panel, and we're going to look at school districts. We're going to look at townships. We're going to look at villages. Um, we're going to look at... Uh, where are we going to be in 2030? I think uh, for some of the towns, uh, their uh, costs are unsustainable. Um, highway trucks, as they, um, if this does come to fruition, this climate action uh, deal from the state, electrification of 10-wheeler trucks. Um, we bought two fire trucks in the town of Sullivan. They were $650,000 a piece. And the salesman told me if uh, those trucks were electric, you'd be looking at $1.5 million a piece. Um, and, of course, the state has pushed uh, uh, electric school buses down onto the schools. I don't know how they're going to be able to afford that. Um, there are miles, you know, when it's cold out, the batteries don't hold up. But you'll, that cost will be reflected in your school taxes. So that 2030 initiative will look at all that stuff, and uh, I hope that something comes out of it. Um, it's going to be change. If uh, there's going to be change, and how we manage it and embrace it is going to be up to the people and uh, how they move forward. I mean, the word consolidation has a lot of people sit there and probably go, good things on both or they have ideas on both sides of what that word can mean so i think you know looks like the county has a lot on its plate this year and you have some battles ahead of you we do uh we've never been a county to sit back and uh sit back and um do nothing we've uh, uh transformed the county with our uh, buildings we're a modern county our people have all the tools they need to do their jobs um, we're competitive on our wages and uh you know, we feel that we provide great service to the constituents of the county that uh, that use our services right from the DMV to the highway to our DSS to our mental health to our public health. Uh, all of our services, uh, we feel, are right up there in the top ten of the state, if not some of the best. So, We've, we've got a lot of talk about this year. So yep. thank you for joining us on our first ever episode of the Madison County Milk House. And we look forward to having you back and to update us on all of those different topics that will be going on this year. Yeah, okay. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. And as the deacon used to say, we're going to close the gate and we'll see you all in the milk house next time around.